Jeremy Renner returns to Paramount Plus for a brand new season of the original hit series, Mayor of Kingstown. My job is to create a balance. Avoid a war. From executive producer Taylor Sheridan, co-creator of Yellowstone. There's some new players in town, and they brought the flag. And Antoine Fuqua, director of Training Day. I know it's always been a war zone, Mike, but this is next level. The mayor is back in business. Are you warning me? You're going to find out. Mayor of Kingstown. New season streaming June 2nd, exclusively on Paramount+. Plus. From the world of Sonic the Hedgehog, a new hero arrives. I am ready. Is there anyone stronger? No. Ha! Tougher? No. Funnier? I do not make jokes. I make warriors. Knuckles, now streaming only on Paramount+. Plus. Yes! Oh, boy. Hi. Welcome oh. back. Wait. <laughs> now. A classic setup. You tricked me, sir. I did trick you. I'm a trickster. Right before we rolled, Paul F. Tompkins, who is one of the hosts of Star Trek The Pod Directive, which you're listening to, told me, Tony Newsom, who's one of the other hosts of Star Trek The Pod Directive, which you're not listening to, he said, why don't you kick it off? And then I tried to kick it off, and he did a classic switcheroo, and he, he also kicked it off. It's my favorite prank of all time. <laughs> I'm I'm just like a, a prankster. It's my absolute favorite to be doing a to be co-hosting a podcast. Tell my co-host uh-huh. to start, and then I start talking when they start talking. It's my favorite prank in the world. Are, do you have other pranks? Because that seems like it just doesn't seem like your best. You know, a bucket of water over the door jam. That's a that's a <laughs> classic. <laughs> That's dangerous is what that it's, is. It's Nobody thinks about dangerous. how heavy the bucket is in those <laughs> yeah, cartoons. No. Yeah, you are you are counting on the fact that the bucket is going to turn over perfectly. And of course, the water comes down. Then the bucket comes down perfectly over the person's head. But no. uh, more often than not, what's happening is a very heavy object is just crashing yeah. down on someone's head. Especially those buckets because they were like metal buckets because all the, those cartoons were written in the 30s. That's right. They didn't know that plastic buckets were going to be a thing. Now do it with a big orange Home Depot bucket, and that might be kind of funny. How big are we talking? Like the like Gatorade, uh, the football sidelines size? The standard, the standard orange Home Depot bucket. I guess I'm not Look, familiar. We're not I'm, doing an ad for Home Depot look, here, okay? I'm, Tony, I'm more of a Lowe's guy. <laughs> well, great. Me too. You know, they have different items. Look, we're not doing um, ads for these home improvement stores. What we are doing is talking about Star Trek. This is the show where we we eventually talk about Star Trek. That's the perfect logline for this show. <laughs> the show where we eventually talk about Star Trek. <laughs> um, and we have a very cool guest today. We have someone who talks about Star Trek constantly. Um, she started as a fan. She is a legit scientist. She got brought into the fold to work as a consultant on shows to make you know, make Trek science more viable, even though it takes place in a in an alternate future and sometimes past. Some of the stuff takes place. Mm-hmm. Some of Trek now is in the past. To be fair. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, she is, uh, she's just a delight to talk to both as a fan and as an expert. And that person is Erin McDonald. Yeah, she, we had such a great time talking with her. She's, she's, she's really, she's really fun. She's really smart and fun. And um and excited about things and you know it's the I there's something about science people who are jazzed about science is yeah a really enjoyable thing it's oh, it, yeah. it gets you pumped up you know it's become some of my favorite Twitter lately just yeah. like scientists who do stuff that I know nothing about there's yeah. like a, a a lizard and reptile scientist that I follow <laughs> who just posts 
she has a little event called Find That Lizard and she finds different, and I don't know what's going on, but I'm like, this is joyful. You love it. I love that you love this. I, I appreciate when someone appreciates animals that I don't appreciate. Do you know what I mean? Oh, yeah. Like when somebody can say, look at this gorgeous snake. <laughs> I'm like, yeah. not my thing, but I love <laughs> that you love it. And you're, you're, you're making me have a grudging appreciation for some animals that I find disgusting. Bugs, sure. bugs are the hardest when people are like, look at this. <laughs> look at this just beautiful beetle. And I'm like, I'll yeah. take your word for it. It's asking a lot to find a beetle beautiful. If if that's yeah. not your line of work, yeah, I, it's I'm, asking a lot. I'm glad that somebody loves those bugs because I feel <laughs> I feel my my stomping foot twitch when I see those oh, pictures. No. Sometimes. <laughs> oh my gosh, I am such a. I will trap and let out everything that comes into my home. Ants, yeah, tiny spiders, little flies. I let them go because I live in the wilderness, and so I'm like, you, our house. We we came into your home yes. by putting someone put this house here, and that is our fault. Exactly. So I'm gonna release you back into the wild. <laughs> Look, I know you were born yesterday, literally, but <laughs> we're neighbors, and I'm gonna try to be neighborly. Um, yeah. Spiders is the big one for me, where I will uh, I will always try to uh, catch and release because the enemy of my enemy is my friend. Um, mm -hmm. And I have my, my standard method, and it really, it works great, is I take a manila envelope, open it, right? Mm -hmm. And then I scoop the spider uh, either uh -huh. off the wall or off the floor, and then, you know, fold the flap over, and then you go and you shake them outside. Wow. That is a good, I always do the cup with like a, a, a an index card underneath yes. it type yeah, of yeah, a yeah, move, yeah. but- but your manila envelope, that's a one, that's a one item rescue. It's a one item rescue. Uh, it's, <laughs> it's very cheap. <laughs> it's reusable. You don't have to yeah, think. Yeah, I'm sitting here washing yeah. glasses. Exactly. You got to wash that glass because a spider was in it. <laughs> after you, after you trap a spider. You know what I have? I have these terrifying flying fire ants. They come out for two weeks of every year. It kind of changes. I think it depends on when Easter is that year. Uh, <laughs> we don't know when. <laughs> Exactly, they're going to come out, but they come out in like weird little swarms, and every now and then one will kind of get in the house, and I'm like, oh. this thing can fly, it can bite. I gotta. And fire gotta ants are called away. fire ants are called fire ants because of the bite, right? I believe so. Yes, because the bite feels like there's a little fire on me. <laughs> I wish I'd asked Erin McDonald this. Uh <laughs> this is not her area, but I assume she knows about bugs and and cool things like but that. But I feel like fire ants, either you can fly or you can have a fire bite. What are you doing? Ha pick yeah. one. Don't have both. Pick a, a strange weapon. <laughs> Speaking of strange animals, well, we're going to get into it, but we did ask Erin about her favorite uh, episode of Trek. Mm -hmm. And uh, I'm just going to tell you, we talked about Threshold, guys. We talked about Threshold from Voyager, <laughs> the one where uh, Janeway and uh, Tom Paris turn into salamander people. I, and it's wild to hear someone say that, like, that's their episode that, like, they want to talk yeah. about. Because yeah, usually yeah. that's just one that you go, like, all right, that happened. <laughs> <laughs> Big swing. But, uh, yeah, it was Erin is terrific. I think you're really going to, if you're not familiar with her, I think you're going to want to become even more familiar with her after this conversation, which is coming up right after this. Get the best merch in the universe with Star Trek products from ParamountShop.com. Shop Galaxy shirts, NX-01 hats, Starfleet Command sweatshirts, and more. You can take 20% off with code TREK20. That's 20% off at checkout on all Star Trek products with code TREK20 at ParamountShop.com. 
www.thepeopleshow.com. Well, Aaron, the first thing I want to know about when uh, our lovely producers called you to ask you about your favorite episodes of Trek, you said Threshold from Voyager. We just got to go right there. We got to start <laughs> with the the Tom Paris and Janeway turn into salamander people who have children. We got to start there. I I can't let this continue. I It's just, it's such a classic. And the reason I added it is because I can't get through any interview without being asked about Threshold. So I'm now just getting ahead of it. <laughs> like we oh, might that's as well just start. <laughs> yeah. That yeah. Paul, you and I should do that. Paul, what's the mo- what's the most obnoxious thing that you always get asked? <laughs> <laughs> why why won't you leave? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's it's so funny because, you know, I I've, I've been giving talks on like how warp drive works and just inevitably threshold comes up and I started working in, you know, this joke where I say how, you know, you have warp factor 10 is like you get a bubble around your ship. You want to go even faster. You build another bubble and that's warp factor two. And this exponentially increases to warp factor 10. And that's when terrible episodes happen. And it killed the first time I said that. <laughs> that's a solid joke. Thank you. But everyone knows Threshold. It's just this legendary episode. And so I've gone back and I have watched it a number of times. Mm -hmm. And the thing is, it's not a terrible episode until the moment where Tom Paris's tongue falls out. And then I'm like, Mm. I'm good. Um, It just took a hard, hard turn. (laughs) How many times have you seen Threshold, would you say? Boy, I... I'm in the double digits for sure. Wow. Okay. Yeah. And have you gone on wow. have you gone on a journey with the episode where it's like first I like it, then I don't like it, then hold on a second. Yeah, I mean, we should bear that in mind when I say that it's not a terrible episode, is that I may be trapped in this vortex. So you, you have Stockholm syndrome with <laughs> that do. episode of Star Trek Voyager. <laughs> exactly. It's I mean, it's just embedded itself in my soul in a way that I can't get it out. <laughs> So, yeah, I mean, it's it's clever. And I the thing is, is that because I talk about the science behind warp drive, the warp drive aspect of the episode is pretty solid. The way they talk about it is like, okay, yeah, the way warp drive is explained, it makes sense that you would have this hard limit where you end up wrapping all of space and time around your ship and (laughs) then end up having lizard babies. But it does, though. (laughs) I will say, it has one of my favorite Janeway lines of all time when it's like at the end of the episode and they're all kind of sitting there awkwardly because they just had lizard babies with each other and Tom Paris is like, I'm so sorry, Captain. I'm so sorry. And she's like, what makes you think it was your idea? (laughs) (laughs) That part killed me because you describe it as awkwardly. I was struck. This is maybe only the second time in my life I've watched it. The first time I watched it, I was probably a teenager. And I don't know how (laughs) that didn't really mess me up. Or maybe it did. And that's why I'm here. Um, But watching it now, I was struck by how just like blase they were about it. It was almost like they treated it like, oh, that was a dinner party that turned into something a little weird, you know? Instead, they're just like, yeah, that that happened. Uh, sorry about that. It was so casual. I think she has a cup of coffee. It's <laughs> yeah, so is weird. <laughs> like, it is a funny thing in, in, in anything that's that's kind of fantastical that that 
there are certain th you might write a thing into your story that is so huge that you cannot deal with the psychological repercussions of it. Like Indiana Jones saw proof that God exists, not just one God, but many gods. And he did not have a psychotic break. Like <laughs> right. he's still out there like, got to find more artifacts. <laughs> yeah. It just, it speaks to the level of crazy that those characters have seen in their lives. <laughs> yeah, exactly. like, sure, well, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what are the stories we we haven't heard about these right. people? <laughs> They're like, oh, show me something new. <laughs> I'm always struck by that whenever it's like time stuff, whenever it's mm -hmm. temporal rift stuff, and they're just like, hey, actually, Captain, we're in a completely wrong timeline. Um, you're not supposed to exist. This isn't real, and we got to fix it. And they're just like, uh, all right. Yeah. <laughs> like, like, no one has to grapple with it. They're just like, yeah, well, this is this is weird space stuff. Uh, yeah. Good. Good catch. Good catch. Thank you. Good looking out. Riker showing up and being like, it's terrible here. Don't send me back. They're like, well, send you back. All right. Yeah. <laughs> all right <man. laughs> just wacky type stuff. Yeah. yeah. It's great, too, because it reminds me of. I think I was doing a rewatch of Next Generation and there was like a couple episodes where it was transporter accident after transporter accident after transporter accident. Then a couple episodes mm -hmm. later, Barkley's like, I'm not going in that transporter. And he's treated like the unique one there. Like, yeah. If, if yeah, that's he's what they dealt with. Ridiculed. Yeah, that's crazy. <laughs> I wouldn't be going in that. There's a, I'll tell you what, my family goes to the same uh, Mexican restaurant in Puerto Vallarta every year. They do a, 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 we do a Christmas family vacation. We've gone to the same place every year for 10 years. And last year, I'm not naming the place because last year my cousins <laughs> got trapped in an elevator. And I'll bet you what, when COVID's done and my family goes back there again, not one person in my family is getting in that elevator. And that was, and they were fine. They were on the ground floor. <laughs> Everyone's taking the stairs. And that is just something I will not be able, I'm not going to be able to change a bunch of black people's mind about this one elevator. Elevator's cursed. They're like, nope. So, yeah. One transporter accident, I'm not getting in that thing. I will shuttle down everywhere we go. <laughs> exactly. Oh, my goodness. So, well, I want to, like, back up a little bit. I know you've talked about this at length, so feel free to give us the, the elevator pitch. Haha. <laughs> about... Um, <laughs> Like, what is the real science behind warp? Could it work? How does it work? Where does it just get completely fantastical other than being salamander people? Yeah, like, wh where does it, co you know, um, coincide with, like, any real world stuff? Right. Um, so the idea of going faster than light is something that science fiction has to use all the time because space is really, really, really big. And the fastest you can go in space is the speed of light. And that's because our universe you can think of as this fabric of space time. Any mass is going to dip into it like a bowling ball. And the less mass you have, the easier it is to travel. And when you have no mass like light, then you coast on the surface of space time at a uh, fixed speed, which is the speed of light. Um, but if you want to tell interesting stories, <laughs> uh, you're going to have to go faster than that because the closest star system to us is over four light years away, so, which means it takes four years at the speed of light to get there. So right. franchises have used all sorts of different ways to shortcut that. And what Star Trek has done is this idea that in that physics realm, this universe that we live in, Nothing says that space-time itself can't go faster than the speed of light, because it's just the stuff that's in it. But space-time itself can go how whatever speed. 
So the idea of warp drive is that you build a bubble of space time around your ship and then that propels you faster than the speed of light. And you can adjust your speed within that. And the really key point is on the ship itself, you're inside this bubble, space time is totally normal. So going to warp doesn't affect you at all. And it's a really cool idea. I think it's why it's it's lasted as long as it has, because actually, scientifically, it's totally valid. The math checks out. That's very cool. So all we have to do is build this bubble. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's the tough part, right? How it close is. are we to this bubble? <laughs> <laughs> it's now the engineer's problem. I figured out the math. Now they can do that. <laughs> I drew a circle around the ship. There you go. Make See, this. It can't be that hard. <laughs> it makes me feel like there's got to be some movie trick that we could do. You know, like how you can create uh, you can create a, uh, zero gravity in one of those planes. Mm-hmm. Right, right. Maybe there's something we can do to create a space-time bubble. I guarantee Hollywood people get are thinking of that. that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I always well, the thing that always trips me out when I think about it is, you know, the endless um, what is essentially the endless nighttime of space and uh, going going to places at warp speed. You end up somewhere like, oh, we're going to go to this planet. We're going to check this out. That you have to like timing out when you get there because you have because the ship has to have its own night and day. Right. And right. so if you're going to go to this planet, are you like, ah, we got there and it's it's nighttime there. We want to be there during the day. So we're going to have to just stay up here in orbit until our morning. I don't know. It's it's so I feel like you it, the the potential to lose your mind is is very great. Yes, the complexities involved with scheduling. Yeah. <laughs> Once you're in space. Because at least if you're out in open sea, like the sun goes up and down, you know? Yeah, this is true. Paul, you blew my mind by saying the endless nighttime of space. <laughs> I have never thought of space as being endless nighttime. It and was it is the original, ti- out. original title of uh, Star Trek. That was what Gene Roddenberry, <laughs> that's when they pitched Endless it. nighttime? The endless nighttime of space. There's your existential crisis for the day. Yeah. <laughs> Welcome to space. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, we have trouble even scheduling like Zoom podcasts for people on the East Coast and me not fucking it up. So like, how do you <laughs> how do you talk to someone on Vulcan or someone on Risa and have it be the right time? What time is it there? <laughs> You're talking to another planet. <laughs> what time is it there? It's July. <laughs> I remember an episode that was the end of an episode. Maybe it was Data's Day, uh, TNG, mm. where at the very end, he um, has control of the bridge and he says, begin night watch. And then the lights dim on the bridge. Yeah. Like they, Star Trek, the next generation invented night mode. Um, but also <laughs> that was that's one of the few times they really make reference to like the, the sort of demarcation of time on the ship. And I guess because he's a Android, they're like, you don't have to sleep, right? <laughs> we'll you recharge you when the batteries get yeah. low. <laughs> you, you be the night watchman of the ship. Oh, yeah, I guess I never realized that. Data doesn't really sleep, or does he? He makes himself sleep, but I don't know that he has to. Like, I guess he's not he... like an Odo where he needs a 15 minutes in a bucket or whatever. <laughs> That's all I need. Just 15 yeah. minutes in a bucket. He strives to sleep. He does dream at one point. I remember yes. that. But yeah, 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 yeah. You're right. You're right. So, Aaron, you have been a longtime fan of Trek. 
uh, we got to get that first contact, baby. What was your first contact <laughs> with any Star Trek? It actually wasn't until much later in my life that I really discovered Star Trek. I think a lot of people who are kind of known for being Star Trek fans, uh, sometimes you don't realize I it wasn't until college for me. I had wow. a friend growing up that, you know, her family were big Trekkies. And so I had seen stuff. And it wasn't until I went to college and I was doing my degree in physics. And as I like to say, in the Venn diagram of physicists and Star Trek fans, <laughs> it's a big <laughs> intersection. <laughs> so, sure. <laughs> I, uh, I just through proxy of literally going to college parties in with physics majors and they would have Star Trek on in the background and have drinking games associated with Star Trek. And it was Please usually next us generation. One. Please tell uh, the us Picard one. tug every time. Oh, sure. Uh, oh, he tugs his shirt down. Every time sure. Riker sits in a chair the way he does, mm-hmm. uh-huh. take a drink. There's there's a lot. You can end up pretty trashed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It sounds sounds bad for you just based on those two alone. Yeah. <laughs> But had, yeah. you know, so, but science had always been an interest of yours since since you were a little kid. Yeah. So, what was the the series of your youth like when you were a kid? What was the series that was on, or was well, there one? Yeah, I so again wasn't really raised in a household that was big into science fiction, but right. I think like most kids, you know, it's space and dinosaurs are the coolest mm-hmm. things in the world, and I was just really passionate about it. But I was lucky enough that when I was growing up, I had the X Files on, and oh, there we go, okay. Uh, that was it. And as little redheaded girl was watching a redheaded woman <laughs> kick ass with yeah. of course. science. Of like, course. I want to be her. Because <laughs> I knew there had to be some way that you were getting that itch scratched. Like there's no way you were just not consuming anything <laughs> along right. those lines. Right. <laughs> and so I what, was obsessed. <laughs> what was your what was the first Star Trek show uh, in those college days? Uh, so Next Generation was probably the first one that like I was exposed to. But then actually my senior year was when the reboot in 2009, the Kelvin films came out. And so everyone was kind of getting ready for that. So I ended up watching a lot of the original series and actually really loved it. I, there are just some great stories there. And so I dove in head first. And so it was just kind of like this slow build up. But then the night we actually graduated was the midnight release of the Kelvin film. So we all got our physics degrees and then did the, you know, obligatory parental obligations and right. then went to the movie theater. Oh, and- that's fantastic. You guys must have been, you must have been so psyched. It was amazing. Because I'd, I'd been to, like, I was into fandom, right? There's a lot. Mm-hmm. This was peak fandom, I think, in the early 2000s. Um, but that was my first exposure to Trek fandom and this idea that there's generations of fans and they're so into it. And I was like, oh, this is, these are my people. This is my <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> so it's interesting. It, it, it wasn't intimidating to you at all because I think some people see a large fandom with a deep well and all these in-jokes and so many series and can be, yeah, just find it intimidating. But that's cool that you were like, no, I'm going to dive in. <laughs> well, I, I do have that kind of personality. So <laughs> I, <laughs> I do, when I like things, I really, really like things. But Going to an event like that, I think, was really special because it was so celebratory and exciting that everyone there, you know, laughed at every little in-joke, every Easter egg, that even if I didn't get more than half of it, I still 
felt like I was a part of it. And that's mm -hmm. where it's like, ooh, okay, now I'm, I'm going to learn what all those Easter eggs were because that sounds really fun. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it becomes like a treasure hunt for you. You're like, yeah. oh, this is a thing that I can sink my teeth into and I can find all the little nuggets. Yeah. And then I'll know what they're laughing at. I get that. <laughs> and then I'll belong. <laughs> but, it, you know, it was funny, though, because so then I'm just I'm in peak obsessive fan mode. And only a few weeks later, I actually went to my graduate school, which was overseas and in Scotland by myself, didn't know anyone and mm. just dove into watching Star Trek. And that's where I watched Voyager, Deep Space Nine, watch all of those made friends through Star Trek because I wouldn't shut up about it. And it was great. <laughs> so Yeah, really. It was very fast. <laughs> I love that. Um, you mentioned Deep Space Nine. Deep Space Nine is my favorite and probably the series I've seen most recently. So it's all, I feel like I talk about it a lot on this show, but it's just because I I started a rewatch group with some friends a couple years ago. And so it's just it's it's right there in my brain. Another one of your favorite episodes that you mentioned is Magnificent Ferengi, or as I like to call it, Ocean's Eleven Ferengi style. <laughs> it is such a heist or maybe it's more like the Italian job, but with Ferengi. It, it's a heist film. They're on this quest to get Moogie back. It's a wild episode. Can you tell us why you like it? Oh, gosh. I So Deep Space Nine is also my favorite series. And it manages to balance some really heavy stories, some great ensemble characters, and some very funny comedy. And so the comedy episodes of Deep Space Nine are always my favorites. And if I had to pick any of them... I'm picking one where it's a bunch of Ferengi constantly freaking out and Iggy Pop is in it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Iggy Pop is such a fun surprise. His his delivery in that, it made me really appreciate like the the what you're talking about, the the scope of tone that Trek can handle mm -hmm. because he is not in the same <laughs> franchise as any other actor. But it doesn't break it. Like it works. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It super works. And I just my other favorite scene from there is the I think it's a cold open when they're crawling through the Jeffries tubes and like Quark has to break to Rom that their mom that Moogie was dating the Grand Nagas. And he's like, no, no. And then they pop out in Cisco's office and he's like, what are you guys doing? And they just back up. <laughs> it's just <laughs> comedy. Yeah, it's like I'm Tom and Jerry up. all yeah. of a sudden. <laughs> Tom and <So>. Jerry. <laughs> Yeah, um, I'm trying to think if there are any if if anyone's not familiar with Deep Space Nine, what it's like to have your mom dating the Grand Nagus. <laughs> I guess that's like your mom dating like the governor of California. <laughs> yeah, pretty accurate. Yeah, <laughs> it's just a weird. It's a weird vibe. It's a weird energy. So funny. Yeah, I I love it, and I it's hard for me to choose a favorite Deep Space Nine episode, but I mean that's one. If I'm in the mood to watch anything, I know it'll make me laugh. It'll make me laugh every single time. It's a great one. One of my favorites along those lines was the, uh, I can't, um, forgive me for not recalling the title, the, the Tribbles one, where they go back to the original Enterprise. And that, like, they, it was at a time when they were able to do that sort of intercutting between old footage and new footage really well, uh, really seamlessly. And mm -hmm. so much fun to see, like, Dax getting in the the old outfit and like sort of a nod to this is kind of ridiculous, right? That these yeah. this was a professional outfit for people on a science vessel. 
but yeah, they that that series in particular, I think, handled comedy, I think, better than all other Trek properties, really. Yeah. I mean, mm-hmm. they there was mm-hmm. I don't know why it was so different, but it really was. Yeah, it really was. Yeah. Um, that episode we're being told by our brain trust is called Trials and Tribulations. Trials I'd forgotten that name too. And Paul, honestly, I was that you just described when they were like, send us your favorite episodes. I had written down The Magnificent Frandy and Trials and Tribulations. Uh, I was like, oh, good. I need to narrow this down. Which one am I going to pick? The one with Iggy Pop. <laughs> Iggy Pop's got to win out for sure. I get that. I support that choice. Yeah. Um, and I was glad to rewatch that one because I think I'd seen Trials and Tribulations somewhat more recently. And this one was like a, oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah I just love, I love any time that we get to see how smart and capable Rom is because he is played for laughs so much. But especially as a scientist, like his stuff is legit. Sometimes he saves the day. He solves problems when they give him a chance and listen to him. Yeah. I wonder, are there any other characters like that throughout the franchise that like get doubted in a way, but they tend to be the most kind of scientifically sound or any other characters that you relate to? Yeah. I think it's really interesting because particularly with Rom, you know, I think the way that they developed the Ferengi arcs after the Ferengi that we got in Next Gen was brilliant. <laughs> mm-hmm. That they were able to pivot and still keep the Next Gen ones kind of true, but yet give a level of depth that we hadn't seen. And Rom's arc, but I think particularly Nog, that moment where he's trying to talk to Cisco about wanting to join Starfleet and says, like, I don't want to end up like my dad, who could have been a chief engineer somewhere, and he's working for his brother at a bar. And that is just heartbreaking. But, you know, ones where, because you mentioned sort of the unsung scientist, is... Uh, Captain Janeway, I think we always see her and think of her as a captain, but those few moments where she gets to go back to her roots as a scientist Mm -hmm. can be really interesting. And it's really, you get to see that she's always been portrayed, like that is her true background, Mm -hmm. um, even though that's not her focus now as a captain. Well, it's like, you know, a, a captain of a of a ship has to uh, had to learn how to tie those knots, you know, like right. this is <laughs> right. this is it's part of the training. And it's it is fun to be. I remember reading like there was a comic book that f- had Superman in it where Clark Kent was figuring out something like he was doing journalism. <laughs> it's like, oh, that's right. <laughs> he's he's a reporter for much of the time. Um, and it's fun that, yeah. that it's almost like a forgotten, <laughs> when you bring up a forgotten thing about a character that's very much a part of who they are. Like it's it's absolutely inside of them day to day. And then, But for us, it's just like we never see it. Right. From a science perspective, are there things like from, let's say, uh, the original series or TNG that, are close to being right from today's perspective. Like they're close to being science that we have now, oh. um, but not quite. Like it's not it's not completely there, but the, the actual ideas are there. They were almost to that. Because yeah. it's so interesting <laughs> how I think, I genuinely think a lot of the technology that we have now was motivated by people who watch Star Trek and were like, Mm -hmm. I want to chat on video screens. I want to have a cool flip communicator device. But we've achieved those. And 
in some instances, even beyond, you know, you look at an iPad and you look at the data pads in next gen and you're like, man, mine's better than that. (laughs) 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 um, But in terms of ones that, you know, we're so we're close to, but haven't quite achieved. I mean, I'm always going to go to warp drive because I just want us to have that. But because that's Mm -hmm. something that scientifically we could have, the thing is with these big advances, there's a lot of times one big epiphany that kind of moves technology forward. And if we're going to get warp drive, we really need a good source of energy, like a Mm -hmm. good either. I mean, you know, warp drive runs off of the collision of matter and antimatter and which we've done, uh, but in a way that's like happening all the time and gives you a lot of energy. And Mm -hmm. so if we were able to develop something like that, then we could get close to it. Things like transporters, unfortunately, scientifically, like, just doesn't pass muster. They just make up, you know, they're like, eh, You can't turn works. humans into glitter and just put them somewhere else? I know, unfortunately. Dang. But it's great because, like, Star Trek handles it great from a science to sci-fi perspective where they're like, well, we have the Heisenberg compensator because the Heisenberg uncertainty principle is the reason you can't have a transporter ever. So they're like, we have a Heisenberg compensator and then the joke of course in the in the star trek realm is always like well but how does it work very well thanks for asking yeah (laughs) (laughs) so yeah i mean i think that uh it's i feel like since the original series and since next gen anything that was quickly achievable we got to because a lot of scientists Mm -hmm. and engineers are motivated by star trek but those ones that are just out of reach i think require a big breakthrough in science for us to get there. Yeah. It's a good question. Yeah. Yeah. I know. I it's like I'm gonna be thinking about that for a while. <laughs> you, you start thinking about it, yeah, like with the pads, for instance, you know, mm-hmm. you think about how they would stack up pads on the table to show that someone had a lot of work to do. When now we know that like <laughs> you can put a bunch of files on one pad. I think we might have talked about this on the show before, but yeah, there's like a weird there's a bunch of scenes where it's like, oh, Cisco's got all this yeah. work to get through. Really and there's funny. 25 pads stacked up. <laughs> it's such bad. a 90s approach hey, to yeah. I wrote futurism. my novel. Here's my six iPads that you can read it on. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's like if you had six computers. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, okay, when you're done with that one. <laughs> oh, oh I got to get through all this. <laughs> So, Aaron, like, I want to talk a little about fandom, um, you know, coming from a fan as early as college and then getting to work within the franchise. Did that change? You know, a lot of times they say, I won't say don't meet your heroes or but maybe it's more of a like you're seeing how the sausage is made Mm -hmm. a little bit. Did it change your relationship with the show or make you appreciate it differently? Yeah, I mean, I came into working professionally in Star Trek through the fan side because I started by giving talks at conventions on the science behind Star Trek. And, you know, they it wasn't anything new, but just realizing there was an opportunity that fans are really into the science and they will show up to a science lecture at a sci-fi convention. <laughs> and trying to then say, all right, well, instead of just being fan-facing, let's start inserting that behind the scenes like they did in in Next Gen and Deep Space Nine. They've had science advisors before. Um, but for me as a fan, I I do have those moments. I do have those moments where I'm just like, oh, I get to write that. <laughs> um, <laughs> it can sometimes be a little bit 
overwhelming like any like any job right and mm -hmm. i think my unique position right now is science advisors in the past for star trek were working on one show like maybe mm. a second when tng and ds9 overlapped but they were hired by the room you know it was a very mm -hmm. sort of specific job for me i'm working across six shows <laughs> and sure. i am constant it's like i always have scripts to read i always have meetings to go to and so i'll get into that mode where i'm like oh my god i just want a day off and my partner will be like from what reading Star Trek scripts. <laughs> Tell me how your life is hard again. <laughs> and it's good to get that perspective. You need that sometimes. But what what's the typical timeline? Like, is it is it that they write it into a script and then they say, I hope this is somewhat scientifically sound. We'll <laughs> we'll ask Aaron. Or is it that they they in the process of writing, they're coming to you with questions or is it a mixture of both? It's a mixture of both, and it really has to do with how the relationship has grown. Because initially I was brought on for Discovery, and I knew some of the writers. And so we already had a bit of a relationship, and they trusted me. And so when they reached a point in their story development where they were like, hey, I'd really like to get a science perspective on this, then I came in and helped them. But then some of these other shows were just like, nah, we're cool. We don't, we don't need that. And I was like, well, I'm here. Like, do you want me to, you know, the internet can be mean. I can help you. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> and I know you think you mean that now, but when, <laughs> I'll be here. I'll yeah. be here waiting. Yeah. And then, you know, it was like, okay, we'll we'll send you some scripts. You know, we'll just get you on the distro and then I'll send notes. And then building that relationship where I've gone from just sort of like this passive voice that's like, nah, fix this word, fix this word to going, well, maybe she can help us solve that. And so for shows mm -hmm. where I know the rooms and I know the writers a little bit better, they'll start pulling me in all the time. And it's from concept development to just, I mean, I probably answered three emails today that were just like, what would this look like? <laughs> you know, just, yeah, yeah. I need a word for this. And uh, I think particularly because I didn't work on season one of Lower Decks, but I was brought on before the season started to air and they were starting to get season two going on. So like Mike and I had a chat and we hit it off and he was like, okay, yeah, no, I'd like, I'd like your help. And then they kind of just reached the point where they would just put quantum and then a random word as like code word yeah. for Aaron will <laughs> fix this. <laughs> like, oh, like, yes. Oh, I've read God. several scripts that just say like science thing here. <laughs> 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 I'm like, ah, oh, yeah. this hasn't gone through the gone through the smart people channels yet. Wow. <laughs> What's interesting to me about the lower decks room is that um so many of those writers like uh like Ben Rogers and like Chris Kula and all those dudes, they're so steeped in Trek already. Like they're such fans of Trek and Mike, of course, himself. But uh just from me getting to know some of the writers, I know um some of them were new to Trek, like Ann Kim, I think, was new to the franchise, but then she like yeah. did like a deep dive and yeah. learned so much in a short period of time, which gives you an immediacy of a lot of the knowledge. So they have yeah. this very diverse knowledge base that I think allows them to remember science that has already been established in the universe. And so, yeah, I just notice a lot that like sometimes if we have a question about something scientific, the writers might know just because of how much Trek they've seen, mm -hmm. which is interesting because of where Lower Decks is placed chronologically, I bet they could kind of get away with that for the first season. It makes sense to me why Discovery or why Picard, you know, things on the edges of our timeline really need your help because that, you know, a lot of times there's, you must be developing things that haven't been established before. Right. And it's, it's the types of stories that they want to tell too, you know, with, 
lower decks and and Mike and that team, they they want to tell fun stories and they mm-hmm. really achieve that. But, you know, for example, in season one where they have like the bio mess gets out and everything. At oh, the no terraforming? Point, yeah. At no point are they going to try to describe that and they don't have to. And I'm not sure they're going to try to defend that because it's a funny episode and that's not mm-hmm. what they're trying to do. But then you have a show like Discovery that really wants to lean into that sort of classic we are scientists, we are problem solvers, we are faced mm-hmm. with issues and we're going to science our way out of this, then that's where they really want to lean into that a bit. And so some of what I help with as well is coming in with that perspective of a scientist where they'll say like, okay, well, as a scientist, if you're faced with this data, like what questions would you ask? What sort of thing would you be interested in? And what would be your tip off that things are weird? And Mm. so we're able to do that as well. But then even to, you know, Prodigy, which is going to be coming out, you know, they have that with a very young audience in their mind, that they're not necessarily trying to bake in really intense, complex science into it, but that you could have budding scientists watching that show. And so trying to kind of find that balance. So every show just has a slightly different tone with what they're trying to achieve. And then it's really up to me to kind of help them find where that line is in that big spectrum of science to fiction. Are there any other fandoms that you are involved in or any other, yeah, any other (laughs) properties out there? Personally, I'm uh, deeply obsessed with many things. (laughs) (laughs) That's amazing. I want to hear one or more of those. You got so, like you lit up and look so mischievous. (laughs) I mean, you've obviously seen, you've asked me about an episode. I will just start quoting it. Like, I will hang out with yeah. people for hours right, and talk right. about my my favorite fandoms. My deep <laughs> obsession. But the first thing that little Aaron got obsessed with, even before the X-Files, was <laughs> I Love Lucy. For some reason. Uh, <laughs> I loved that show. And I consumed everything about I Love Lucy. And it's like, I knew when her birthday was, I knew how many episodes there were, I knew when it aired. So this has always been me. This is Mm -hmm. at at my core. You are a data person. Like you're collecting data points. Like you want to know all the info. It makes so much sense you're a scientist. Also, you've just been chasing redheads your whole life. You've just been like, where can I find another redhead who's getting into trouble or solving problems? I totally and, get that. And yet, Aaron, you did not seek out Star Trek, the original series, which was produced by Desilu Productions. Yet another fake I love Lucy girl. <laughs> I, you know, it's so it's so funny that you mentioned that because that I felt like my life had come full circle uh, when, of course, I, when of I started course. working on Star Trek. And I think the first episode that I had my name credited on aired on the anniversary of the first episode of I Love Lucy. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. Amazing. (laughs) Thanks. That's very cool. I do want to apologize for Paul's one piece of gatekeeping. He's that's the only gate he will keep. He wants people to know (laughs) that Desiree Productions produced. That's right. It's a great fact. And more people should know it. So I do appreciate that. You're right. I let Lucy down, but I feel like I've done okay since then. Uh, I know you do have some ink, right? I can see a little ink showing. You have numerous. How many tattoos do you have? 
I'm in the, I'm past 25. I've lost track. Wow. That's <laughs> yeah. cool. Yeah. I actually started a whole sleeve of my favorite sci-fi ships mm-hmm. and I have Voyager on right front and center. Wow. Um, I've got Voyager and then the Galaxy Quest ship because <laughs> that's my favorite <laughs> movie cool. of all time. Um <laughs> And then you asked about other franchises that I'm obsessed with. Um, the video game franchise Mass Effect is another one where if I'm oh, sure. another Mass Effect fan, I won't shut up for two hours. I'm like, <laughs> I'm going to buy you drinks. We're going to sit in a corner and I'm going to hear about your entire playthrough and who you romance and who you like and who you squad with, <laughs> what choices you made. So, uh, yeah, I've got the Normandy from Mass Effect 2 on my arm. And uh, it's funny, though, because I was so nervous when I started professionally pitching myself to Star Trek because I already had a bunch of visible Star Trek tattoos. Uh. Oh, God, they're going to think I'm like, (laughs) like, is this the right impression? (laughs) I mean, I'd love to help out and I'd love to help out and maybe live with you forever and ever. Uh. was it i felt like i was like okay i'm a fan but like is it, is it too much but like am i coming on too strong i think this is a franchise that can weather that though i bet they were excited oh my god yeah it's it's hilarious i the few sort of moments i've had with that is because i have vulcan script down my arm that stands for live long and prosper mm. and the first time i was at an event that ethan peck was at he didn't know who i was beelines over for me and he's like is that vulcan on your arm (laughs) (laughs) um so it's 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 worked well for me and then when (laughs) i joined prodigy which as they've now announced has captain janeway in it was right after i got my voyager tattoo and that was literally Mm. the entree at nickelodeon studios when i was meeting the writer's room the hegemans were like so we have a voyager tattoo and I was like, yeah. And they're like, sit down. You're going to want to hear this. <laughs> That's when they told me Captain Janeway was coming back. Wow. <laughs> so oh, wow. That was pretty amazing. See, see the, in a lot of ways, the tattoos signal to people like, I'm the one you want to share the news with because I'm going to appreciate it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I definitely am not ashamed of them. Uh, on the on the vi- did you say any more? <laughs> yeah, that little voice in my mind has been disappeared. <laughs> oh, I get it. Briefly back to the topic of video games. Have you played Cyberpunk 2077? I, you Ooh, know, this is I'm a contentious topic. I know. This is, like, this is we are we, as terms. of this recording, we're in the midst of uh this game has just come out and then uh it's got a lot of problems and PlayStation has taken it out of the store to fix it and I I'm a little disappointed because I didn't I hadn't bought it yet and I kind of wanted to play the messed up version <laughs> because every <laughs> Every like screen cap I've seen from it, it's hilarious. Hilarious. <laughs> like, it's, it's I'm usually I tend to give things a little bit of time before I get into them. Like next gen consoles, my voice is like, mm-hmm. how about you play the 15 games on your current console that you <laughs> right. haven't played until you buy the next <laughs> right. one? Um, so I hadn't purchased it yet, and because I am a console gamer, I'm and I have a previous generate of a PS4. I mm-hmm. think I made the right choice, but I have been following <laughs> it. It's just that social train wreck that's going on that you can't look yeah. away from. And you're just like, tell me more. Show me more. I want to hear more stories about how Sony's removing it and <laughs> <laughs> videos are terrible because 
It's like waiting to see how people's LASIK surgery turns out. Before you yeah. <laughs> they unwrap it and everyone's like, ooh, ooh yeah. looks great. <laughs> I'll give you a few years and then see how you yeah. do. <laughs> oh, oh, my so God. Good. Wait, Paul, what are your big fandoms? I think I kind of know this, but say it for the microphone. <laughs> I mean, you know, Trek has always been in my life uh, since I was a kid. And, um, you know, I am I'm a console gamer as well. Uh, my favorite I really like RPGs and my favorite games are like the Bioshock series and uh, uh, Dishonored. And I honestly, my favorite game that I can't stop playing is uh, Red Dead Redemption 2. I think it's a it's a beautiful game. I don't know. It, it's like that thing of, of realizing that video games can be an art form and they can be mm. they can be lovely to look at and they can they can truly be worlds that you can you can, you know, wander around in. Um there are some shows and things that you watch. You're like, this should be a game. And why isn't it? Because I'm, I'm mm. watching this and I want to play it. Yeah. <laughs> That's where I feel. That's actually how I got into mass effect was because, you know, people when I'm again, peak star Trek obsessive mode and I play video games, we're like, if you haven't played that, I mean, that's captaining a starship and saving yeah. the galaxy yeah and yeah. you get to keep your character for three games and you get to romance characters of right. your choosing which is particularly <laughs> appealing and um it's it's like a choose your own adventure it's a novel that you get to yeah. write yourself and and i i'm the same i love single player rpgs i will mm -hmm. just spend hours in those worlds and it's amazing oh that does sound cool but tony that's not ever been a thing for you has it no, I've never been into gaming. I don't have any judgments about it, though. It's just never been a thing that, you know, I, I can be an obsessive personality type, too, and I tend to go down lanes, and if things don't kind of fit in those lanes, it usually has to do with what type of gear I have, because, like, I, I'm very obsessed with, like, uh, like recording equipment, and, mm -hmm. like, I'm a musician, and so I love, like... Anything to do with, you know, audio, whether I'm recording instruments or like podcast stuff, I get really into the gear of it. Yeah. Um, and I'm by no means an expert, but it brings me a lot of understanding how things work, brings me a lot of uh, comfort, you know? So I really like to get into, yeah, just like knowing how to, knowing how to best use different, uh, yeah, different gear to like create different sounds and to capture different instruments and stuff like that. And I say all that to say that what that has done is left a complete deficit in ability for visual things. Like I cannot take a picture with a real camera to save my life. I do not understand anything about the visual medium. I borrowed a camera from a friend of mine and I, and it's an old camera. And I was like, I will never learn how to use this. Mm -hmm. I cannot do it. So I almost wonder if video games fall into that. Uh, if that that corner of my brain were like right. it's a little too visual for me, right. I don't know. I Maybe it. if it was just, is there a game that's just music, or is that just <laughs> yeah. writing music? Right. <laughs> I mean, I guess Guitar Hero. Yeah, you know, they, but if you're, if you're already that. a musician, I don't think it's it's very. Yeah. It, it, it might not be as interesting. <laughs> yeah. Maybe not. I guess what I'm saying is, I don't want to look at stuff. Don't I show me anything. When when early in the pandemic, when Animal Crossing uh, New Horizons hit, <laughs> I was doing this thing in my head where I was thinking of couples that I knew, and trying to figure out who in the couple would be into the game and who wouldn't be into the game. Amazing. And Tony, I felt like. I imagined your husband, Nate, being into the game and you not being into the game. So I feel like I called that correctly. <laughs> Maybe. He's never been into games either. And I again, 
he doesn't seem to have any judgment about it. It's just been it hasn't been a thing. Although he also doesn't listen to any music past 1973, so maybe. <laughs> <laughs> well, he's he's missing out on the discography of one KK Slider. Um, <laughs> Dude, Paul, you just made me feel so sad and guilty about my abandoned island, man. Like, <laughs> <laughs> we oh, all yeah, everybody's it, islands are. We abandoned. all have to abandon them eventually. Those poor I mean, residents. Yeah, I know <laughs> they're still living there. It's I weird tried, to think. Oh, I convinced. <laughs> Pinky to leave her music career to stay with me, and then I left the island. <laughs> oh, this is the 2020 equivalent of just a gigaped in a drawer somewhere, just beeping, starving. Please, please, we're please still here. care for me. You are my parent. <laughs> Aaron, do you have any interest? And forgive me if you if you have already. Do you have any, do you have any interest in appearing on a Star Trek episode? Oh, yeah, I mean that's the dream. That's the ultimate goal. It's like you go from, and I mean maybe I'm being greedy, so I can imagine a lot of people being like, "Sit down, you get you have your glory." Like, don't ask for too much. Um, I mean, I think it would just be amazing, just from a personal. You know, I want I want to be in the canon. But I think everyone sure. does. And even yeah. if it's a fictionalized version of me, even just knowing that the writers were like, eh, just, just put a little bit of Aaron, Aaron into that. Um, I right. do have to say I did. Uh, I was so grateful that I saw <laughs> that I got pulled into Lower Decks after they'd written season one because I would have had a complex about Tendi that I'd be like, did they did they follow me too much? Do they know too much about me? I feel really oh, seen in Tendi. You feel a little called out, huh? Yeah. yeah. So yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, I get it. The more Mike writes Mariner to just be me without personal rules, <laughs> I'm just like, oh, feels a little too on the nose sometimes. So yeah, it can be strange yeah. to appear have in you, this world. Have you gotten to be on the sets and stuff like that? Um, not for Star Trek, not yet. Um, again, they because I mean I'm in LA, and the shows that I'd worked on that have filmed are up yeah. in Canada. So uh, one day, I mean, I'd love to. And I think yeah. the more though, because it really is a slow process. I mean, for the right reasons. But you know, when you look at the paths that the previous science consultants have gone on, and for me now, figuring like, okay. I, in terms of like where a scientist who wants to get into the entertainment industry goes, that's, this is, mm. this is the peak. This is science consulting for Star Trek is mm -hmm. the best. And so now what? And I felt kind of lost about where I wanted my career to go. And I was like, okay, well, but I have this gig, like, let's just kind of roll with it. Let's learn. I've got the time to do that. And the more I've been involved in the writing process and seeing that and becoming really passionate about it and starting to find my own voice, I can see how those previous consultants, um, Noreen Shakar and Andre Bermanis, have gone on to be writers and now EPs and showrunners because you do get so exposed to the process and you end up starting to think more about story and you start thinking mm -hmm. more about characters and then you start looking back on your own crazy little life and you've got stories to tell that aren't necessarily seen in Hollywood. And it's like, oh, okay. So my, my role in the franchise, I think is, is growing behind the scenes, but also just kind of my personal career track. I'm, I'm starting to find my own voice and where I fit and it's pretty exciting. We'll see. That's fantastic. Yeah. But I will lose my brain if I ever step foot on the bridge of a starship. <laughs> like, let's just be yeah. perfectly honest here. <laughs> 
I mean, same, honestly. Like, that, that's that got to be the coolest thing. I've yeah, never been I on mean, a set. Yeah, I mean, you know, like, for, for Tawny and I, it, you know, we're on sets all the time. But it is, when you get to be on a thing like that, man, it really is different. Yeah. It really is yeah. different. Even though you can see the edges of the walls and stuff like that, it's still like you you really do feel like you're you're somewhere else. It's it's very exciting. Awesome. So I'm yeah. I'm looking forward to that day for you. Yeah. The <laughs> Thank closest you. thing you like that that I got to do was um at the end of Space Force, I got to do a moonwalk and oh, yeah. that I didn't know that that was like a dream of mine, but there was something so awesome. Cuz it was something so awesome because it wasn't green screen. It was a huge stage filled with dirt, I guess. And they built a big capsule and I'm on wires and everything. And so it felt as real as that mm -hmm. can feel. You know, yeah. it wasn't like, yeah, it wasn't like a green screen thing. And that was insane because it was like, oh, this is a thing that this is this is a thing that everyone watched in 1969. And so to even be a part of something that was that looked like a major historical event like that. I don't know. I'm a comedian, so I've never like been in like a, a war <laughs> biopic or something, you know? <laughs> it felt very, um, yeah, very surreal. Did it like awaken? Because I feel like that's where, particularly being a space scientist, when I meet people, it kind of awakens that kid in them that was really into space, even though their lives have gone in a different direction. Was it, did it do that with you that you were just kind of like, oh yeah, I did want to be an astronaut at one point, and now I am. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know what it kind of made me remember is that for a while I was really obsessed with scuba diving, maybe just because I was a child in the 90s in oh, California. Oh, wow. And so, I didn't know that. I just, my mom did it and I was too young to get certified. So I would snorkel while she would dive and I loved it. We would go to Monterey and we'd snorkel and dive and then we'd go to the Monterey Bay Aquarium, I guess, so I could see the shit that I couldn't actually get down there far enough to see. <laughs> um, this is what you would have seen. But it, right? The, here are the things I would see if I was old enough to get certified. Um, and then I fell out of it, but it, it made me feel like a, a diver in some way. I was like, oh, I like this like deep sea outer space vibe. Mm -hmm. I don't know. It also made me um it made me always want to be on wires. Like just as an actor, <laughs> I'd never gotten to do that before. That's awesome. And I was like, wait a minute. So some big dude over there just pulls on these and I go up in the air <laughs> and my knees don't hurt at the end of a 12-hour day. I want to do that. <laughs> Aaron, can we talk about your feelings about uh Captain Janeway? You've cited uh the character as a major inspiration behind your doctorate and your career. I, I would just like to hear uh, you talk about that and what that character means to you. Yeah, I, uh, Captain Janeway is very, very close to my heart. And only now kind of in retrospect, I understand why she had the impact that she did. Because, you know, I'd mentioned that it was when I went to graduate school that I started watching Voyager and Deep Space Nine. And I was living overseas in Scotland away from anyone that I knew and on this new crazy scary thing of doing a PhD, which in the UK is basically like, all right, there's your desk and we'll see you in three years with the mm -hmm. thesis. <laughs> like, okay. <laughs> and, I, um, and so I think now in retrospect, I look back to my time watching Voyager with that and actually those parallels I think are what made me appreciate it so much that they were lost in the Delta Quadrant, trying to find their way home, trying to stay true to who they were, while also just trying to survive. And that really resonated with me. And I think like with any characters where you're able to see yourself in them, you know, this is why representation is so important because I didn't have a mentor 
in science that I felt like, you know, a, a true mentor is someone that you see and you see their career path and you say, all right, that's where I want to go. And I want mm. you to help guide me in that. <laughs> your, all yeah. your lessons learned. And I really didn't have that until I watched mm. Voyager. And I would see the way that Janeway interacted with her crew, the way that she solved problems, the way that she made decisions. And all of them just felt really natural and organic to me, <laughs> even down to the fact that like her romance hologram being like a Jane Austen novel. I'm like, girl, I get it. Like that's, that's, that's valid. Simpler times, you know? <laughs> and I really, I just saw myself in her. And I think that any, and this idea of them desperately trying to get home, you know, my goal was trying to finish my PhD. PhDs suck. They suck. Like, I don't think we talk <laughs> enough about how awful it is to do a PhD. And it's just, you get to the point where it starts to suck so hard that you're like, well, but I've already made it this far, so I might as well just get through it. And those moments, especially for me, because I didn't go into it wanting to be a professor. I this is starting to realize that this is my MO is that I start doing things without a, like an end goal in mind. Like I don't have five year plans. Like I'm just like, this seems yeah. cool. <laughs> and, um, and because I didn't have that goal of saying like, I want to be a professor, so I have to do the PhD and I have to follow these steps. I was just kind of like, why am I doing this again? This is terrible. And I hate everything about this. And I would watch Voyager and I would watch Captain Janeway and be like, no, you know, like if she can do this stuff, I can do it too. And she can get me mm -hmm. through this. It was like I was getting little pep talks from Captain Janeway. And so in my acknowledgments in my dissertation, uh, where you kind of acknowledge everyone you've worked with and kind of thank the people that got you through it, the Janeway made sort of the last bullet where I just said to Captain Janeway, like, I can never convey to her how much she helped me get through this PhD. And it's true. And I had the opportunity when I was actually a few years later, I was a guest at a sci-fi convention giving my science talks and Kate Mulgrew was also there. And I was like, oh, is this, this is, this is happening. <laughs> I was like, I think, I think I'm going to have her sign my PhD thesis. <laughs> I, I brought it with me and I'm trying to balance like when I'm giving a talk, when I'm supposed to be on stage and also be a fan and have enough mm -hmm. time to yeah. stand in line and get the signature taken care of. And, <laughs> and it thankfully it worked. And I that was the first time I'd ever met her. And I just clutching my Ph.D. thesis, trembling. And I was just in full fan mode and I got up there and I could, you know, it's like you. I need about an hour to tell her everything that she meant to me. And I have 30 seconds and I'm in the middle of about 300 people. And I was just like, this is my thesis. And this is my dedication to Captain Janeway. And I was wondering if you could sign it. She was kind of like, oh, oh, wow. And I'm like, oh, wow. Yeah. yeah wow. Um, <laughs> wow. She's like, yeah. And it was like this beautiful, awkward, beautiful moment but awkward. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Um, but that's yeah. incredible that you were able oh. dis to distill it because of all those yeah. feelings and that history that you've had. You know, you've spent so many hours watching her. That That is a hard thing to do as a fan to go, okay, here's this nugget of information mm -hmm. I'm giving you. And she got so it. So to you. <laughs> yeah. I mean, she at least, yeah, absorbed the enormity of it. And yeah. I, I felt bad because it is so weighty in the middle of signing action <laughs> figures and signing <laughs> photos to just be like, 
boom, <laughs> there's my thesis and that's you. And, uh, you know, and I've had a chance to kind of meet her and cross paths a few times since then. But I think for me, where it really came together was then finding out that I'd be helping on Prodigy and actually helping edit lines yeah. for Captain Janeway. That, wow. that was me, as many people have done, wept in their car on the 405. <laughs> <sitting> <laughs> <in traffic. laughs> But for a good reason oh, this but time. But this was a good reason. Yeah, yeah. Not because you just got rejected at Sony like the rest of us. <laughs> That's the only time I've cried on the 405. It's just they made <laughs> finding the, out you didn't get it. The meeting was at 4 p.m. <laughs> uh, and, and then Kate Mulgrew goes on to uh, Orange is the New Black and plays a character named Red. Makes you think. Mm. I know. It was Look just bad to be. <laughs> That's how we know this is the right timeline, right? We say that. This isn't some temporal thing that someone's going to run in and be like, ah, this is the wrong one. We got to reset it. I'm like, but, but, but. <laughs> Oh, this is working for me. It's a dumpster fire around. That's Miles. Uh, I love Lucy. Uh. Okay, before we let you go, I just want to end on one probably impossible question. So no pressure. Is there anything from a science perspective that Trek has not yet tackled that you would just love to see figured out or or something fantastical created within the franchise yeah but is there some little corner of science that you're like i hope we get to this Ooh, see i always have a i will always have a special place in my heart for gravitational waves because that's what i did my phd mm. in these ripples in space time from colliding black holes uh and wow uh the words gravitational waves have made it into season three <laughs> So (laughs) it actually it actually like was, you know, uh, because the writers, I think, particularly in Discovery, for sure, are big science fans. They're pulling this stuff up anyway. They honestly they are such big fans that they read about cool things that they want to insert into the storyline. And then it's up to me to just kind of wordsmith and finesse it a little bit to make sure that it's kind of how it would normally naturally be said. Um, But they're all incredibly smart people and incredibly fun to work with. But I mean, that being said, I kind of just want to say spoiler alert, because I'm now working in so many shows that I like they'll ask me be like, you know, well, what kind of cool, weird thing do you want to have here? And I'm like, do this. <laughs> oh, so you just have to put it in there. Well, we did with um cool. with episode five, I think, of season three of Discovery, they have the coronal mass ejection. And we had that opportunity. That was it was kind of that discussion of like, all right, we have a bunch, you know, we need that space disaster of the week. You know, what here's the yeah. things that it needs to have done and what mm-hmm. do you think would fit with this? And so it's like coronal mass ejection. <laughs> Made it in. <laughs> I mean, but this I, I I feel like this is uh this is a new way of uh, uh of, of storytelling for this franchise, right? Like I don't think they were doing that before. I think I mean they had science consultants, but I don't think they were saying what should we do. I mean, they were like, <laughs> you know, morality plays essentially for the most part. And uh this is I, I like this a lot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm really, I, and it's credit to them, to be honest. And, yeah. you know, the fact that we've been able to build a relationship. You know, one of the reasons that I, the lessons that I learned starting to get into science consulting for the entertainment industry mm-hmm. is, is, 
And I laugh because I'm just kind of like every time I'm like, yeah, dad, see, I did make it into the industry. <laughs> like that time where you made me get a science degree, like work around. I got there in the end. But the thing that I learned and I think is what has made me successful and has able been able to build so many great relationships with so many great and talented writers is my um existence as a fan as well and the ability to yes and what they're coming up with and i think mm -hmm. a lot of science consultants when they get those opportunities for the first time have a tendency to just be like wouldn't work like that nope don't do that nope right. you can't right. do that and for me what i like to do is just be like okay cool idea let's make that work <laughs> and, mm -hmm. and yeah. then i think from building those relationships, we've been able to get to the point where it does become more collaborative that it's like, yeah, we have a cool idea, but let's throw it to Aaron. And and then I have the opportunity, you know, I mean, at least we did when writers rooms met in person, I'd, I'd go for a full day and just kind of sit in the room and bounce ideas around and just kind of have interesting conversations that would then either problems that they were having or things that they were trying to break um, to be able to help with that. So it's really great. It's a fun fun gig yeah <laughs> i love that description of it yeah it's it's your fandom that helps you maybe put aside the more maybe more critical scientific brain that would for the first instinct would be to say that's not possible and instead you're like well in this world it could be <laughs> yeah. i really like that and to realize that the people that are writing these shows are not trying to insult science like right. they're not they're not right. <laughs> not taking it seriously like <laughs> we'll show you what we can do with time <laughs> 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 yeah, no, it really is. It's a really fun collaborative work project. And I mean, but there are, don't get me wrong, there are some times where especially as stories are being broken and workshopped and back and forth and you, you get like the notes, you know, that are just like, we really want to do this. And I'm like, ooh, science says no on every level here. Like, okay, let's just not explain it. Like, don't do any scans. Yeah. This is just, we're just going to see it. And it's going right. to be fine. Yeah. <laughs> we'll just have it happen and we won't really address yeah, how. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. <laughs> I feel like, uh, no spoilers, but uh, Lower Decks might have a couple of those. <laughs> might have a couple of those like don't worry about it don't worry about it it's fine <laughs> yeah i've had so much fun working with the lower decks team it's really it's a great group of people and i'm honored to to be a part of this as well me too well we are honored to speak with you today thank you so much and thank you for thank you for helping to make these these shows more fun with what you bring to yeah. them yeah it was great to talk with you. It was really great to talk to you, too. I am really big fans, and uh, this was really fun. It was an honor. Yeah, thank, thank you. Thank you, Aaron. Yeah, you were terrific. Thank you so much. Oh, what fun. What fun, what joy to talk to another fan who also works in the Trek world, like like me. She feels like me, but smart. <laughs> Donnie, come on. Am I gonna, you know what get, I mean. am I gonna have, to have to get Stephanie and Don Lewis back in here to say how great you are? Oh, well, to quote Paul F. Tompkins, I wasn't fishing, but I like what I caught. <laughs> um, <laughs> no, but she, uh, no, she really does. She feels like, like how I feel about the fandom where I'm like, oh, I've been a fan since I was a kid and now I get to work for them. Um, she just has this incredibly specific knowledge base that is, that's, that's great. Yeah. I got to say, having been uh, asked to do this podcast and having guested on Lower Decks, like 
it's a real charge when you get asked to be a part of one of these things. And it's like, you don't know how it feels until it happens. And it's, uh, it's wild. It's really wild. Um, so her enthusiasm is so, it's so wonderful to see because you just know how much it means to her and, and how, and how, how, how much care she takes with it, how seriously she takes it, mm-hmm. because she knows that other people are fans too, you know, that the, that there are people out yeah. there watching and they they want it to be um they they want to they want to be able to geek out on it as much as she geeks out on it. The, the, you know, yeah. it's all the it's all the little details that that make a fandom and and she gets that. And it's yeah, it's really cool to see. Yeah. I, yeah, exactly what you said and how a lot of those fans are other scientists, like she mentioned, and she wants it to be she wants the science to be real for them, just like she wants it to be real for us. And that kind of attention to detail is part of one of the things that makes, you know, this property so great. Yes, but not mad scientists. We want to stress that. No. If you're trying to build a monster man, if you're <sighs> if you're trying if you're working on a shrink ray, any of these kind of things. Mm-hmm. Scientists like that. If you're trying to make the whole Earth 55 degrees at all times, no, (laughs) we don't want you. What is that plan? Just mild, just mild (laughs) weather terrorists. They're just like they. That's the only temperature they like, and they force everyone on the planet to do that. We don't want that kind of science. Was that the plot of the Avengers movie, the one with uh, Ray Fiennes and Uma Thurman? I remember Sean asking Connery. the wrong kid, man. I remember. I believe me. I watched that movie. I retained nothing except Sean Connery had a weather machine, and it was also the only time he played a Scottish person on screen. <laughs> <laughs> I have no idea. I don't even know what year this movie you're referencing came I'm out. I'm gonna say it came out sometime between 1990 and today. <laughs> okay, got it. Around the time of uh, the cutting edge and girls trip. Yep. Okay. <laughs> Those are the outer exactly. edges of my <laughs> exactly of my film knowledge. Oh. Well, guys, we did it. We, this has been great. It's been great. Another one in the books. We'll be back next week. Uh, and and please, if you like the show, please rate and subscribe and all that stuff. Tell a friend about it. Um, yes. We really appreciate you listening. And um, uh, we've been, it's nice as the second season has started, we've been getting a lot of great feedback and, and it's really nice to hear. So thank yeah. you so much. And we'll be back next week with another episode of this show. Yes, we will. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Jeremy Renner returns to Paramount Plus for a brand new season of the original hit series, Mayor of Kingstown. My job is to create a balance. Avoid a war. From executive producer Taylor Sheridan, co-creator of Yellowstone. There's some new players in town, and they brought the flag. And Antoine Fuqua, director of Training Day. I know it's always been a war zone, Mike, but this is next level. The mayor is back in business. Are you warning me? You're going to find out. Mayor of Kingstown. New season streaming June 2nd, exclusively on Paramount Plus. CBS Friday. TV's hottest show is Fire Country. I'm not a hero. I'm in orange for a reason. They're taking 12 months off your sentence. You're free. Lady. With a special epic season finale. Now that I'm out, I need something to get me up in the morning. You are a firefighter. Used to be. That will be unforgettable. In the name of your life's happiness, go get your girl. She's getting married tomorrow. Says, when do you let anything get in the way of what you want? The Fire Country season finale, Friday, 9, 8 central on CBS and streaming on Paramount+. Plus.